Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, SSNC Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, or best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to see how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now. Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Hairston with SSNC Blue Prism. Welcome to the Transform Now podcast. Today, I am thrilled to have a returning guest with me, Dr. Stefan Gestetner, a partner and director at BCG and based in Frankfurt, Germany. Stefan's initial visit last year is one of our most listened to podcasts of all time. Today, he and I will be talking about how companies can fully realize the value of AI-managed supply chains. Stefan, welcome back. Why don't you remind our listeners about yourself? First of all, very nice to be able and allowed to return. And with those good news, really good that resonated with the audience. So as you rightly said, I'm, I'm a partner at ECG focusing on optimizing our clients' supply chains. And then I think optimizing in these days is a big word. What does it really mean? I like to describe it as helping them to solve the supply chain puzzle a little bit. So it's certainly balancing demand with supply, which is more, more or less the essentials. But then resilience kicks in, ability kicks in, sustainability kicks in, and trying to help them navigate how this can be solved. That's what I do for a living, and I like to do it very much. And then I'm also helping with a few others, obviously keeping our key relationships to some of the leading tech providers and try to understand what they have under the hood and which value they can deliver to our clients. Excellent. Well, Stefan, I'm really glad to have you back. It's always great talking with you about this supply chain topic. Supply chain for us in the automation world is becoming increasingly an area of focus. So glad to be talking to you about it again. And at the end of last year, you also co-authored a white paper talking about the promise of AI managed supply chains and have these come to fruition the way that everybody envisioned. So let me just start our dialogue by asking you, as a C-level advisor that watches supply chain trends very, very closely, what have you observed in terms of supply chain performance over the past five to 10 years? It's interesting and, and nice that you pick the longer horizon. Huh? So I, I would say everybody would agree that supply chain professionals on all levels have done a great job, a very challenging job, but also a great job to keep the supply chain as good as possible in sync over COVID and the crisis, what we all know. But then we also wanted to understand what's, what is it in the longer run, because I think the COVID story we all know, but, but then we recently analyzed, if you take a step back and look at the last decade, and that's why I'm, I'm glad that you are referring to a longer time horizon, how has the supply chain performance developed? and and we took a bit of a, let's say, a fu fundamental or maybe also a naive approach to looking at selected KPIs that we thought are the evergreens of supply chain performance, which is OTIF, that's a service KPI inventories, and then 
the manual effort to the amount of people that are working in the supply chain. In our hypothesis, every supply trader would probably agree, was that over time with COVID maybe as, a, as an interruption, auto must have developed nicely and grown, let's say, to healthy levels with at the same time inventory being at least under control. And we all know there is a relationship between inventory and OTIF, but then obviously there's also a chance to, to compose the inventory better and then we can have better OTIF even with lower inventory. So that was our expectation. And then with automation technology, as you guys are providing it, others, uh, we, were, we were also thinking that the manual effort to run supply chains must have gone down. So that was the assumption. The result was quite different because OTIP, to our surprise, hasn't developed positively over the past 10 years. We did this with our own benchmarking data, but then also consulted APQC as an external benchmarking partner. And that, that was a surprising picture. Yes, inventory has gone down, but a little bit erratically. So we cannot say that this was a sort of decent and intentional development. And then also on the people side, it was a bit fluctuating, let's say. So what, what I want to say with this is um, we don't see in the fundamental data that there is a very directional performance improvement tendency in global supply chains. And um, that's at least surprising. So I, I'm not blaming anybody, but it was an, an interesting finding, I must say. Yeah, that is very interesting. And you mentioned OTIV or on-time in full delivery performance has gone down over the past decade. How have companies historically attempted to solve their supply chain performance degradation? I mean, obviously we, we took a step on explaining what we saw and, and also sort of visiting what we know from our clients. There is clear tech coming into supply chains for, for many, many years. And some, I would argue, tech has always been a part of a supply chain. But then we still see that the complexity of managing a supply chain is still sitting on the shoulder of the humans in front of the tech, let's say, if I may explain it like that. And so all the fantastic end-to-end -end planning platforms, which I think are, are very powerful, they are still exposing the people with quite some complexity and it still requires a lot of understanding and training and diligence and also, I mean, willingness to understand this complex tech and then make sense out of it. And managing supply chains with the tech is not necessarily easier than without the tech. So therefore, I think that has been a tendency that is ongoing and that might also explain the fact that human intervention with our labor KPI that we took is not significantly improving and also fundamental performance, probably because I think many people are still wrestling with the fact that they now have modern tech in front of them, but maybe not actually have enough help to operate this modern tech, if I may say so. Well, the AI era was definitely supposed to transform supply chains and essentially signal the end of supply chain management. Did this come to fruition, in your opinion? Yeah, and I think we are also a little bit guilty of that. We published something in 2018, which we called the death of supply chain management, which was meant to be provocative and going in this direction. And now mm -hmm. we predicted in five to 10 years, it will happen. And now unfortunately, five years are over and we are being asked, so uh, has it happened? And therefore your question is absolutely right. I don't think it has arrived yet. So there are 
I mean, there are many fancy words around it, like out planning, self-healing, supply chain, these kinds of things. I don't see it having arrived at scale at our clients yet. And also I see that AI is not yet used, I think, in a fully functional way, what AI can do. Also, I think it's used too much as an as a super analytics, let's say. So certainly yeah. we can improve demand planning big time with AI and you can become super fancy in this. But then is the last percentage of eliminating forecast error really adding the value to the end-to-end -end supply chain or is it something else that we need to look for in AI? And my, my impression is that AI is not yet used in the right way, if I may say mm -hmm. so. I'm okay. not the one defining right and wrong, but I think there can be better ways to use AI. And therefore, to your question, though, I think this vision is still to be proven, but has not arrived in reality so much. Okay. So let's talk about what it would look like to fully achieve the promise of an AI-powered supply chain. What, what do you believe companies need to do to really reach the vision? I mean, coming from the argumentation that, that AI should not only be used to power analytics, I'm not saying that, that it should not be used. I mean, many great use cases where this can be done. But the one thing that is dramatically missing, I would say, is the machine learning aspect of AI. So a reinforcement learning or the learning aspect of it because supply chain performance is made up of very, very many small decisions. It's not the one super manager making one decision and then everything goes wrong, right? It's hundreds and thousands of decisions per day, sometimes in large supply chains, which need to be taken. And these ones are being taken, as I said, by people who are super experienced. But unfortunately, those people are not in their roles eternally. And then a, a new set of people comes in and they probably don't have the backgrounds. They need to learn. And then they start at zero again. And the fluctuation and also the lack of people who are available to work in supply chains is, is a serious problem. Mm -hmm. So we need to, I think we need to much more utilize the learning aspect of AI where a decision is being taken, then the consequence of this decision is evaluated and then the, the machine learns whether it was a good decision or a bad decision and then takes either the same decision in similar contexts next time or a different decision and then constituting something that you might want to call as the operational brain of a supply chain to, to run it and to help people run it and to take at least the routine decisions away from the people and the others to expose it to the people in order to make human decisions, but only for the maybe top 10% of the decisions to be taken. Okay. It's a really interesting way to put it that it's thousands of decisions, not just one. It, it makes my brain hurt thinking about all the data to, to support each and every, each and every one of those decisions. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty mind boggling. Well, what does, what does an AI powered learning system look like? Can you, can you give us like one real life example of a company that, that has done this successfully? That would be really good. Yeah. Maybe let me pick one where, where we worked with the company to, to install this. And again, I'm not pretending that anybody has done it to the biggest extent or at full scale. At least I haven't seen it, but there are good examples. Consumer goods companies who are running hundreds of thousands of decisions already with systems like this. Mm -hmm. 
one example, but from a different industry, pharma, where we work with the clients to install something between the the latest DC, the last DC before they ship it to either distribution or direct to patient, and then upstream. And we had demand forecasting in place already, fortunately. Then we had the inventory position under our control. So under the control of the pharma company, we were influencing the inventory decisions and we were influencing replenishment decisions and the, the drug production, at least on the packaging side. So that, that was a nice scope that we could carve out. And then the, the question is, what do you do with the forecast? So do you react to a forecast? Do you react to an inventory level? Do you react to a mix between the two? And then we developed and trained the algorithm to make sense for replenishment decisions. And we needed to carve out a product line that needed those decisions often enough to be high. So it needs to be quite high repetitive. Otherwise you don't have enough signals for the, for the algorithm to be trained. And then the algorithm is observing the replenishment decision-making with the outcome. Outcome is on-shelf availability. Essentially, when an order comes in, does it meet a shelf which is filled with the product? Yes or no, across mm -hmm. the entire product line. And then we boiled it down into one value stream, which was ultimately accumulating at the packaging line. So then we had one consistent flow with very many products and then all the decisions between it. So what's the demand forecast? What's the current inventory level? How do we, how can we ship it? What's the lead time? What's the production sequence on the packaging line? And how does it all interact? It, is it wise to now trigger a replenishment decision? Yes or no. And then we had the machine observing whether the on-shelf availability was positively affected or negatively. Obviously we needed to incorporate changeover restrictions on the packaging line and constructing this one and then learning with the system that that's an application where I think that was and is super promising, but also I must say it's not super easy because the question is, is an on-shelf availability only influenced by those parameters that we had put into it? How long do you wait for a decision to be effective because you don't have an immediate order after you replenish? And so many practical considerations, but maybe maybe let's make, make it a bit more transparent what it means this learning system and uh, to train a system that is then ultimately taking replenishment decisions on its own. That's a really good example and, and it really brings it to life. So thank you for sharing that. So let's, let's talk about some specific steps companies can take to realize the vision of an integrated learning system in their supply chain. Yeah. So maybe the first step I sort of implicitly illustrated already with the example, I think what needs to be looked at is, is strictly a cross-functional decision-making that we want to support with AI. I think there's little, maybe no point to pick out a, a sub-function, only production sequencing, for example, and then trying to apply it because then it would be more the analytical part. You can be super smart on production sequencing with AI, but then in, in our sense, in the learning sense, it's not so attractive. So I think the first one, step one is more or less focus on areas where we are talking about cross-functional decision-making and then pick something which is interesting enough, which promises some value, which is again, end-to-end -end and high-frequency decision-making. And then, so that, that would be, I would say, step number one, or let me call it consideration number one, because that is not a strict cookbook approach that yeah. we 
you laid down to. Certainly one of AI's core strengths is the ability to detect patterns in big data, something humans just can't do. And I hear you saying that's going to have the biggest impact in the supply chain when it's done across functions, more end-to-end. -end. Is that accurate? Exactly. Okay. That's exactly what I want to say. Yeah. Okay. So you, you need to experiment first and there, there's no way in building huge structures before you have the value proof and before you have understood, can this be pulled off in our specific situation? But once you are far enough in this journey, the well-known operating model question absolutely kicks in huh? because if you take it seriously, the operating model and the governance of managing this part of the supply chain where you are using AI as a learning system will look dramatically differently. You will have a machine taking lots of decisions. You need to be much more prudent or much more strict on setting KPI targets because the, the machine will take these targets as a reference to optimize against. So something like this. And, and then the connection with the operating model is, is taking these decisions. Who makes the final call strictly telling the machine, I want an OTIF or an on-shelf availability for a certain drug of 99.5% or maybe over the counter, not 99.5 and then for life-saving much higher than 99.5. So that these, these questions require an even stricter operating model. And then obviously you have fewer people, but completely different people working in the supply chain and they also need to be organized in a different way. So, and I could talk to the operating model question maybe for ages, yeah. but that that's something that seriously needs to be considered because it's a completely different way of operating a supply chain. And therefore that that's a point absolutely to look at. In moving to this new operating model, does that require companies in some cases to taper down their usage of the more traditional solutions like demand forecasting, for example? So the, the use will change. And I, I would say the... The balance between, again, using those more analytics, AI-driven use cases, demand forecasting and so on, that, that will not go away, especially when we are turning away from the transactional stuff, which we are talking here, to a more midterm planning environment. I think there's a huge right for AI in an analytics sense to drive an IBP or SNOP process because it's a lot around scenario planning. It's much more human intervention needed because there's also lots of judgment needed. It's a, a higher level process, let me call it like this. So this will not go away in my sense. It's, it's an interplay between this layer, the IBP layer and midterm planning. What we are talking here is really the, the very transactional, maybe SNOE and maybe even below layer we are talking. So this interplay also is, is an element of the operating model. Okay. Fair enough. What are some other thoughts on things companies need to do to materialize yeah. the vision? I think that Wallace's next logical step is there are not only trends of this transformation in companies. So for very obvious reasons, do they want to replace me with an AI algorithm? Can it really do the job in a better way? So I think building trust into the AI, but not only into AI as a technology, but also trust in the sense of we need to build it in order to stay competitive, in order to go into the future, because there will be less and less people 
working in supply chain, it's a long play. It's not firing hundred people or so. It's, it's a long play. It's preparing for the future. And then these two elements, building trust in the sense of it's really here to help and not here to replace. And then also more technically building trust that the output of the AI engine makes sense and that the recommendation that the engine takes are reasonable. Those two trust elements need to be addressed. Otherwise it will not be rolled out at scale. So if acceptance is not here, then, then it will not work. So that, that I would say is also a super important element to have in the journey. Yeah. Fostering trust in AI is a really big deal and, and really hard to do, but I can see how in the supply chain area, it's going to be an even bigger deal because again, you're, you're trying to move this group to a state where they're trusting AI, not just in one or two or three different decisions, but against thousands of different decisions that happen over the course of a single day. So what do you think is the key to making this happen, to getting people to really trust AI the right way? Conceptually or theoretically, you only build it when you try it. Huh? And I, I explained the possible application areas already. And, but I still feel when companies are selecting pilots, they are not always having the right let's say, approach to selecting pilots. Um, and, and I often experience it when we are then discussing, so what could be the first pilot? Then there are the typical suspects, let's say, functional orientation or the current setup of a company is not end-to-end -end and flow-oriented. It's more still functional-oriented. And then identifying a pilot which is not analytics, identifying a pilot which is truly end-to-end -end, or at least half at the end, it doesn't have to span to the flyer, but then let's say from production downstream, something like this, that's important. And then let's, let's not do the typical, I first need full visibility in the supply chain, or I need to ingest a random forest algorithm for demand forecasting. Also let's really, I mean, let's be serious and let's pick a pilot that is 100% applicable for generating this learning system. And that's, that's, I think an important step when it comes to action which is pilot selection, then let's not shy away from what we actually want to achieve. Right, right. Other steps companies need to take in your opinion? Yeah, I think particularly in this area, I think learning from others is, is very good. I'm, I must say I'm not always a friend of, of these questions. How do others do it? And then everybody is asking how is Amazon doing it? And, and so on. that's not always helpful. I must say not in every industry. Mm -hmm. But then I think in the use of AI, um, it can, it can be really enriching. And what I personally like, and it's not 100% applicable, but when you think through how a, how a self-driving car algorithms are trained, you cannot have them uh, driving in reality and encountering every situation. So you are building simulators mm -hmm. to, uh, to train them. And then there's lots of reinforcement training and then one algorithm trains the other one. So the tech opportunities to train algorithms and to develop them further are so rich that I think it's I mean, so obvious that the self-driving car is so much more of a challenge uh, to create than a replenishment processes in, in the supply chain. So building this trust through impressive results from other industries, sometimes a little bit far-fledged maybe, is, is a good thing. Huh? So that 
that I think can also be a part of building the trust and understanding that this can be done. And what we try to solve in the supply chain is probably not even rocket science compared to other AI learning things that are going on in the world. Okay. And then maybe now that I'm thinking about it, so what, what does it keep all together? And then ultimately, I think it's a lot, and that is not surprising about roles in the supply chain and, and talents. And then also go in line with the operating model comment that I made earlier. You need to be willing to seriously introduce new roles into the supply chain. So a, a data engineer and a data scientist need to be the, one of the most common role in supply chain, maybe over a normal analyst or a replenishment manager or so. Again, not saying that I want to replace all replenishment managers, but without these new roles and automation specialists, data platform specialists, and these kinds of technical roles, I think it goes without saying that they need to be introduced into the supply chain. And I also think it's not necessarily sufficient to have them in a remote analytics corporate center somewhere, because here we are really going to the meat of operating a supply chain. It's really very close to the operations. And I don't feel that this can be done with, let's say, corporate AI center of expertise. Let me call it like this. They really need to be embedded. They also need to have domain knowledge on supply chain and then to be savvy in data science. Those people are not easy to find, but I think they need to be an integral part of the, of the setup. Otherwise it's not sustainable. Then I think it remains to be an experiment, but when it comes to scaling it and when it comes to maintaining it and continuously optimizing it, you urgently need these kinds of roles in the supply chain. Well, those are, those are all great steps companies can take, you know, to, to get to this in-state integrated learning system that you described. Thanks for, thanks for walking us through those, Stefan. I want to wrap us up today by talking about the year ahead, about 2023. Many economists around the world are predicting that it's going to be a challenging year, maybe a full-out recession in, in some regions or globally. Do you believe that this will create the sort of business climate that drives companies to be more progressive in, in the supply chain area and truly reimagining what it could look like. Do you, do you think that's going to be the case this year? Yeah. So similarly on how you started with looking a little bit longer back, I think for this question, we also need to look a little bit longer into the future and, um, yeah, absolutely. I think the, I have never had in my now 25 years of working in supply chain had a, an atmosphere of understanding that this is absolutely needed and this is not a right to have. It's an, it's an essential thing. No? And when I, when I talk to our macroeconomic experts and they are creating scenarios for the future, there, there are obviously several scenarios. Nobody, nobody knows, but the one that I find intuitively super relevant. And for me, it's, it's a likely one, but I'm not a macroeconomic expert is a tripolar competition. I think they call it, which essentially means there is this Western world. And if we may turn to this unfortunate topic of the Ukraine situation, it might be the coalition that is sort of helping the Ukraine defend themselves. And then there's the, the other side of the, of the party, obviously with China as the by far major player, but then maybe Russia and this, and then there's other parts of the world 
name is South America, obviously, and Africa, to, the, to name a few, some parts of Asia. And those three poles, they might become more, let's say, self-sufficient and replacing the 100% global flows. And, and that, I think, is such a long-term macroeconomic development that companies need to follow. And obviously, it is ongoing, reshoring, nearshoring, these kinds of things. And mm -hmm. these supply chains need to be managed. And I think everybody understands it needs a lot of agility, flexibility in managing supply chains to keep it all under control because it's a constant change with the obligation to stay in operations and to deliver products, let's say. Huh? And this, this transition is so immensely complex and without modern tech, flexible tech, it will not be able to pull it off. So therefore, I think there's no question that this is a topic that is here to stay and to be reinforced every time you... Well, Stefan, it, it's been a real pleasure having you back on the podcast. Really enjoy hearing your thoughts on how companies are, are progressing their supply chains. And it's going to definitely be an exciting and interesting year to see how automation and AI truly will transform this area for a lot of companies. So, and I know you'll be right there on the forefront of this. So thank you. Thank you again for rejoining us. I'm sure we will have you on again in the future and I wish you the very best. It would be a pleasure. Thanks for having me again, Brett. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. And to make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you've heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out blueprism.com to learn how SSNC Blueprism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.